every great accomplishment is the story of a flaming heart. Think of a powerful woman. What does she look like? What does she do that makes her powerful? You can say one thing for sure. She has a flaming heart. Or you can put it this way. Her brain is on fire with God. There's a hint of that in the 1913 Girl Scout Handbook, a 137-page manual titled, How Girls Can Help Their Country. Girls will do no good by trying to imitate boys. You will only be a poor imitation. It is better to be a real girl so much as no boy can possibly be. So let me tell you the story of a flaming heart. Let me tell you the story of a real girl. 2,400 years ago, the kingdom was Persia, and there was a king. His name was Xerxes, or Ahasuerus. And all the Jews in the world lived in this kingdom of Persia that comprised 127 countries. And it was expansive from India to Ethiopia. All the Jews in the world lived in that kingdom. The queen of Persia was Vashti. Vashti was the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. He was named after the Babylonian god of wisdom. So the whole focus on his, of his life is trying to gain wisdom through worshiping a god that, that doesn't exist. Sometimes in families, when your family is like that, you become like that too. And Vashti was in that kind of a position. One day, the, the king, her husband, asked her to, to show up and kind of perform in a way at one of his big parties. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that. And so she was put away. And there was a beauty contest to select a new queen. That beauty contest went on for four years. Over a thousand girls auditioned, maybe up to 1,400 young women auditioned for this job opening of Queen of Persia, sort of a Persian idol competition. Let me tell you the key players in the story. The king, the ultimate party monarch, threw a 180-day party for the kingdom and then added a seven-day feast for his hometown buddies as icing on the cake. He liked being in control, but sometimes had trouble sleeping. When his wife, the queen, refused to display her regal beauty, she was exiled. Haman, the ultimate schemer, manipulator, and power broker. In his world, he was the king of the kingdom in his mind. His plot was to eliminate the entire kingdom from the Jewish people. He wanted to wipe them out. In the end, he was crushed by his own ego. Mordecai, 
Esther's uncle, who brought her up as she was an orphan. He was a devout worshiper of the one true God and a man of integrity. He was a spiritual leader. Mordecai was a member, actually, of the Sanhedrin, the ruling group of Jewish elders. And Esther, selected in possibly the biggest beauty pageant in history to be the new queen. She learned that being faithful to God was the highest calling of her life. Let me tell you Esther's story. Esther chapter four. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth and ashes was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only, exception, the only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Prologue. Her mind was on fire as she dressed and walked toward the chamber of her husband, the king. Her beauty was never more radiant. Too many lives cried out from the king's decree of death, and she could not ignore this choir of the oppressed. Standing motionless for several minutes, she watched the man who ruled an empire. He turned and saw her, their eyes locked. It was her time, her moment. She knew 
she had come to the kingdom for this. The story sets up. Once upon a time, there was a greedy king who was more than a little bit greedy. Okay, he was a a lot greedy. There was a man who had too much ambition mixed with anger named Haman. And there was a wise uncle and a very beautiful niece. These four lived in an ancient city that was the capital of one of the most powerful countries in the old world. Everything was going so well for the king that he decided to give a big party for his best friends. And when he gave a party, it was the marathon variety. This party lasted six months. At the end of the party approaching the king thought, as as the end of the party approached, the king thought a little extra celebration would be in order. So he opened up the festival to everyone in the city for seven fun-filled days of wine, food, and music. The king, who was a little tipsy at the time, decided he wanted a, a grand finale for the festivities. What better ultimate event than to show off his beautiful wife, Vashti? But he decided this before asking her, which is something you should never do if you're married, even if you are the king. What the king wanted was for the queen to put herself on display before all the men of the city. Just stand there in all of her dazzling glory and let everybody take a good long look. Well, the queen did not think this was a particularly good idea. and She told the king to forget it. The Bible doesn't say what else she said, which was probably plenty. So the king goes for counseling because he is really mad and he wants to get some accurate feedback, which means he wants one of the wise men to tell him he's right and she's wrong. This is pretty much what men think counseling is. Anyway, the wizened consultants, realizing that the check they get every two weeks is signed by the big king guy, held a brief conference. Then one of them said, we have a bigger problem here than meets the royal eye. What we have here is not just marital mayhem, but an act of high treason. All the men nodded and acknowledged their very high level of anxiety. Now all women will feel that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. And next they'll take our jobs and we'll be watching the babies while they go out on business lunches. The whole cushy system as we know it will grind to a halt. But if we act swiftly, we may be able to delay the women's, the women's movement for a couple of thousand years. By then, who cares? It's not our problem anymore. They all chortled and patted themselves on the back like men do when they think they've gotten out of a tight jam. This is what we have to do. Divorce the queen and get someone in here we can manipulate, someone beautiful but passive, someone who likes to sit around and count palm leaves all day. They laughed again. Momentum was moving in their direction. Momentum is good. The king was pleased. He divorced Vashti. Then he circulated a proclamation that stated a national beauty contest was to be organized to select a new queen. This seemed to make all the men happy. The economy was flooded with a lot of new jobs like regional coordinators for the beauty contest, beauty school franchises, and a new line of makeup from Egypt, which providentially became the world's first pyramid marketing business. (laughs) Hopeful girls flooded the city. They arrived by the caravan load. They arrived in wagons with chickens. After 12 months of mandatory beauty treatments designed to take care of skin roughed by the wind and sand and toning up with Cleopatra's patented exercise system, the the king started to meet the candidates one by one. Time passed. The king was in no big rush to make a hasty decision and not wanting to disturb interest rates, which had fallen to an all-time low. He kept the program going for about four years. 
After over 1,000 queen wannabes were interviewed, the king met his match. A young beauty named Esther became the ruby of his eye, and she was named the queen at a hastily called press conference. The king was ecstatic and announced tax rebates, rebates on new camels, and rebates on just about anything in the kingdom. All seemed happy, and just when someone was about to say, and they lived happily ever after, a guy named Haman stepped into the picture. The action begins. The new Queen Esther had an uncle who had a great love for God. His name was Mordecai. He would not bow down to Haman, who had been named the king's right-hand man, which had fueled his ego. Mordecai's refusal made Haman so mad that he went and threw some dice, which is what you did when you were mad in those days. He kept throwing the dice and throwing the dice until he got the number he wanted, which today we would call cheating. And then he went to the king and said, do you think it would be okay if I killed off a big bunch of people who don't keep your laws? This was a lie. They really are a bad example to the rest of the loyal subjects, calling themselves God's chosen people. They have strange ways. I can probably handle the details by myself without any trouble to you, your grace. The king said, okay, and gave Haman the royal seal. It all sounded so crazy, but the, the king and Haman just sat down and had a drink together and talked about camel racing and camel rodeos and other guy stuff. When Esther's uncle Mordecai heard about the letter, he went into great despair. He even put on special despair clothes and walked around looking funny and attracting a lot of attention. Esther heard about it and sent a message to her uncle saying, what's with the despair outfit? Mordecai sent back word of what was happening with a copy of the king's decree. Esther was afraid. She sent a message that stated she knew that no one could go in and see the king unless he called. And she hadn't been called for 30 days. That's when it happened. There comes a time in your life when you have to grow up. It sneaks up on you sometimes. There it is, staring you in the face. It sneaked up on Esther just then. Mordecai sent a note back to her and said, if you keep silent at this time, God will have to use someone else. But who knows if you have come to the kingdom, if you have become the queen for such a time as this. The very words both excited her and made her very afraid. Her brain was on fire with God. She knew what she must do. If I die, I die. That was how it must be. Now, let me tell you another part of the story that will be important soon. A while back, while he was at the entrance to the city, Mordecai had heard about an assassination plot on the king. He reported it to the proper authorities, and the plot was thwarted. And all the ruckus, the king had never rewarded Mordecai or recognized him for his heroism. But a record of what happened was recorded in the book of memorable deeds of the realm. Now back to the action with the royals. The riddle. After days of fasting and praying, Esther went in to see the king. He asked her, what do you want? And she said, I'll tell you if first I can give a nice dinner party for you and Haman. So they had the meal and the, the king was happy to oblige because he liked to eat and he liked Haman. And then after dinner, he said, okay, now what is it you want? Esther wanted to set it up just right and decided to make it more like an ancient riddle. So she replied to the king, tomorrow, let us have another dinner with just you and Haman 
And I'll tell you, Haman's head was swelled three times its normal size over all the royal attention. He was the only one to eat with the king and the queen, not once, but tomorrow would make it twice. On his way home, he was walking above the dust until he ran by Mordecai again. Mordecai didn't bow down or give him the courtesy of even a look. Haman raged. His inward parts did loop-de-loops. When he arrived home, he bragged about his time at dinner but told his family he couldn't really enjoy it because of Mordecai who stubbornly refused to worship him. His wife, who was sort of a closet terrorist, said, why don't you commission a gallows and tomorrow ask the king for Mordecai's neck on a rope? Haman's eyes got wide. Yes, that would do it. He commissioned a gallows 75 feet high. There was no gallows in all of the world that was so magnificent. He wanted a dramatic fall before the rope snapped Mordecai's neck and sent him to his creator earlier than expected. That night, Haman slept like a baby. But God has his own way of dealing with wickedness. That very night, while Haman gently snoozed, the king couldn't sleep. He finally called for the book of memorable deeds of the realm and had them read. As the moon reigned high above, he learned for the first time that a courageous Mordecai had not been rewarded for saving his life. The king decided to honor Mordecai, but he would first consult his trusty sidekick Haman on the matter. The wrong parade. As the sun came up on that fateful day, old Haman was doing a little am on top of the world shuffle as he went into the king's court. He was getting ready to ask his elevated highness for the neck of Mordecai on the end of a very long rope when the king said, say Haman, we have to honor someone special to me. How shall we do that? Haman's famous ego was about to burst knowing for sure that he must be the special one. He quipped, let's have a horse in a parade. The king said, great idea. Now go and get Mordecai, put him on my horse with my cloak and crown, and you lead the parade. <laughs> Haman somehow knew his life was unraveling. After the parade, Haman went to dinner with the king and Esther. The king could stand it no longer. He begged Esther to tell him what she wanted. He almost choked when Esther said she just wanted her life and the lives of her people spared because an enemy had planned to wipe them out of existence. Haman's heart sank. The fat lady sang. It was over. When the king found out it was Haman's doing, he walked out of the room to gather his thoughts. Haman started begging Esther to have mercy on him. However, even this was his undoing because when the king came back in, he thought Haman was assaulting his queen. It was becoming a very bad day for Haman and it got worse. Haman was hanged on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. It was his life that ended in a 75 foot drop. Epilogue. Well, Mordecai became the right-hand man of the king and was very popular with the people because he cared about them. And Queen Esther decreed that each year the goodness of God would be remembered at a special time for two days. They called these days dice days because Haman had thrown the dice against them, but it was his number that came up. All the chosen, all the chosen of God rejoiced in God's faithfulness to them. This was a very good ending after all. Esther's story, 
is just one of my favorite stories of the Bible. It just, it lays it all out. The struggle in the human heart, the penchant to go after things that inflate your ego, the understanding of what faith really is and what love for God is all about, what love for your family and friends is really all about. Three things really speak very loudly. They just jump out of the pages of the story to me all the time. The first thing that we learn from Esther is that she risked everything for the sake of everyone. She realized that her life was not, was not her own. She realized that life is always really done in community, a community of love and grace and of, of God being faithful to those who are faithful to him. She didn't allow the, the position that she had. She was the queen of one of the great kingdoms to have ever been on this, on this earth, on the face of this earth. And she didn't let that kind of position stop her from being a woman who would be willing to risk even her own life for everyone else. You know, that's what church is really about. It's, it's not about I get my needs met so I feel better, so I go back out to, to another week of work or school or, or whatever. Church is about people who understand what's really at, take, at stake. Church is a place where people care about each other so much that they, they put themselves on the line for each other. God's people always realize that God is at work in and through you. And the day that you realize that God may want to use you strategically for a great purpose is the day when you finally grow up. It sneaks up on you. And then one day it's just staring you in the face. There it is. And that's the moment when you have to make a decision that will color the rest of your life. Esther made that decision. She risked everything for the sake of everyone. She understood that, that timing is the most important thing. She realized that she had to first pray and fast and then she had to, to get to just the right moment. She didn't knee-jerk anything. She didn't go in with a, a flimsy plan. She went in with a strategy. It was a spiritual strategy and it was a very relational strategy. She knew just how this thing had to happen. She was smart. She was wise because she worshiped the God who was the God of all wisdom, the only true God, the creator of the universe, the creator of men and women and of all things good, who is working with us all the time. She realized that she had put herself right at the intersection of her life and God's kingdom. And when that happens, nothing better can happen ever in your life. When you're at the right place in the right time, for what God wants to do. When you show up with all that is required of all God is asking, and you show up ready, you're living that same kind of life that Esther lived. Esther understood that timing is the most important thing, to be right at the intersection of your life and God's kingdom at the right moment. She risked everything for the sake of everyone. And she secured the future by staying faithful in the present. She wrote the future. She gave the future away as a gift by staying faithful in the present. 
I had a meeting about 10 years ago with a group of people and they wanted to start a ministry. And, and it was a good ministry. There's nothing wrong with it, but I just didn't see that there was a commitment to it. And, and, and I just didn't see that it was the right time for this ministry in the development of our church. But I met with a group of people. We sat around a table and we talked a little bit and we ate some sandwiches together and we talked some more. And then I decided it's just time for me to say this. And, and, and this shuts down a conversation real fast and it shut the conversation down. I said, we're only gonna do this if someone is willing to die for it. It got really, really quiet, like it is really, really now, quiet. We're only gonna do this if somebody's willing to die for it. If you're willing to give your time and your energy and your resources and you're all in and you're gonna think about it all the time and you're gonna call meetings and encourage people and train people, if you're gonna do if one person's gonna do that, then we can move ahead. Well, there was a, there was a weak nod and I'll, I'll do it. But you could already hear the wavering of the voice. I knew it wasn't a real, I will die for this. It was, I will maybe go out to lunch with somebody and talk about this, but they, they sort of put their little tootsies in the water, and so I let them go. I said, okay. And a few months later, there was no ministry. Nothing was on the map, uh, and it was okay. It's not something that we were desperate for that we really needed at that time, but it's the principle that really matters. God is saying, are you willing to come to me with an attitude of whatever it takes. Can I ask you for anything from your life? And that is the day that you really understand what's at stake. It's the day that you finally step up and you say, God, I am just here as your servant. I'm here, whatever you, whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever you require, ask me. And if I have to, I will even give my life for it. That's the day that faith is like a fire in your heart. It's like a fire in your brain. Esther had that kind of a heart, that kind of a mind. She, she secured the future by staying faithful in the present. She understood that timing is the most important thing. And she just wanted to be at that crossroads of her life and God's kingdom. She risked everything for the sake of everyone, but she knew that that was the only way to live. There are defining moments when Esther's story must be our story. And here to there is that moment for all of us. And you can get the whole story of here to there just by watching that Brittany Baird video. You can get the whole story by watching these kids sing here this morning. You get the whole story by looking around and seeing how much God trusted us to give us all of this. And now God calls us to a, a high calling and a high privilege and a high honor to give our lives to him at the cutting edge of his kingdom. If you go to here, the number two, there, dot us, here, the number two, there, dot us, Today, we have a site that explains everything to you. We're gonna talk more about, about it next week, but it's all there already. You wanna find out about it? 
It's all there. But make no mistake, it's time for us to live out what Esther lived out. It's time for our hearts and even our, our minds to be on fire for whatever it is that God has, has called us to do. And when you understand that, you are truly living Esther's story all over again. You are bringing faith and life together. You are being the church. Every great accomplishment is the story of a flaming heart. I pray your heart is on fire. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you have given us and all that you want to give us. I thank you for how you have placed us at the crossroads of our lives and, and what your kingdom is about to do in the world today. Oh, Father, the world needs your church. Oh, Father, the world needs a light to look to. And so we give you our lives again today. Allow us to believe that all things are possible because of your faithfulness and your love and your grace as you were faithful to a woman named Esther long ago. Be faithful to us. And I pray we'll return that faith unto you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Discover Spring Branch is over here and, and prayers over there. But let me remind you of the Bible study that I wrote this week. It's designed, again, to just take you five or ten minutes to kind of help you think about your life and where you are and where we are together as a church. So we had a Bible study last week and now one this week. I've already written the one for next week. And I'm just asking you, please, do that Bible study. You can do it by yourself. Or you can do it with a friend. You can do it with a young person who's your son or daughter. You can do it as a husband and a wife, but please just do that together and ask God to show up and to teach you what he wants to teach you and to speak into your heart. As you do that, we will be one church with one vision. Please stand with me for a closing benediction. Heavenly Father, bless these men and these women. Bless these young men and these young women. Fill their hearts, enliven their souls. Put a fire in their brains. Father, allow them to know how much is at stake as you call them to the very edge of your kingdom. Father, I pray that as they leave this room, that they will be your hands and your feet, changing the world from here to an expansive kingdom that is your kingdom. Give them grace and strength. Birth hope in them and through them. Father, take them into what you asked us to, to speak about. That your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bless them now. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.